0: And welcome to the podcast of the Prison Officers Association, the UK's largest professional union for prison, correctional and secure psychiatric workers with over 30,000 members. Each month, we'll be looking at a different area of the union's work. In this episode, we look at two potentially important developments in Parliament. The publication of a new white paper containing the government's latest thinking on prisons and prison strategy and a new attempt to drive through legislation to address the crisis level of violence in prisons. We'll be hearing from the bill's sponsor, Graham Morris, MP for Easington, later in the podcast. But first, General Secretary Steve Gillen gives the background to and an analysis of the government's latest white paper on prisons, which was published just before Christmas. The document runs to over 70 pages, but the National Executive Council fears it amounts to only a missed opportunity. Here, Steve, explain why. We're here today to talk about the government's white paper published just before Christmas, which was under the headline of prison strategy. Now, the NEC has met and deliberated on, on this, and I think it's fair to say, if you had to sum it up in one word, Steve, it would be, or, or one phrase, it would be, this is a missed
1: opportunity. Yes, exactly. Our, our executive now have a time. Uh, to look at the white paper in detail. And there's nothing really new in there. It's regurgitated ideas from over the last 15, 20 years that have been gathering dust. Someone's put it into a 75, 76-page document. And it's, in many respects, it's a vision. There's no real substance to it. And my biggest worry about it, government actually admit that the crucial element to this will be the recruitment of 5,000 additional prison officer grades. Now, the reality is we know there's a big issue with recruitment mm-hmm. retention now, and they can't retain staff. So as fast as they're recruiting staff, people are leaving. So get no chance of recruiting 5,000 people unless they enhance the pay and terms and conditions and make it better and more attractive for individuals to come in to a professional job such as prison staff.
0: Yeah, I did wonder when reading when reading the the, the white paper, it was almost as if someone who'd got lots of very good ideas had, had kind of just just regurgitated them, as you say, almost at random, but they had no real idea of what life is like for POA members and for prison officers it's almost like i, I still still less I've ever been into a prison and and uh, the lack of delivery that accompanied the vision i thought was uh, was a major flaw in this in this paper
1: yeah I, as, as I said I'm very surprised that there will be no legislative framework for any of this it's just a, a vision with a, with a set of standards that they say that they want b- broken down into different sections about, you know, we're embarking on a £3.75 billion worth of new prison and accommodation and £550 to tackle re-offending. And the crucial bit in the introduction says that £550 million to tackle re-offending from the dock to when they enter custody and at the end of custody I would much rather have seen millions of pounds invested into communities to keep people out of prison in the first place. And surely the 3.75 billion on new prisons would have been better spent, actually, in our communities, educating young people away from a life of crime, so that they had prospects and a decent future of decent housing, decent community living, decent jobs and decent prospects. I think this is a real missed opportunity to divert people away from prison and it's just focused on making as many people go to prison in the first place. In Britain we we know that per capita we lock up more people than probably anywhere else in Europe. And that's nothing to be proud of. We all know that for the most serious of offenders, prison is inevitable and it should be kept for them. But for individuals that are petty crime, surely we should be looking at diverting them away from prison and saving the taxpayer a lot of money on the recycling of, of individuals throughout this revolving door. That can't be doing anybody any good whatsoever. So, again, I reiterate, I I think there's a massively lost opportunity in the vision here. Don't get me wrong that there are some good bits in it, such as the upgrade in security systems, which will keep both prisoners and my members safe at work. But you've got to have the staff to operate those key IT infrastructures, such as the X-ray machines and different things.
0: Staying with the scant positives that are in the white paper, there, there's reference to making better use of in-cell technology as well.
1: Yeah, I've got no problem with using in-cell technology. Uh, the, the private sector have been doing that for some time, but you will find the private sector tend to do that so they can reduce staffing levels. I, I think there, there is a place for in-cell technology, but it doesn't replace human contact with a prison officer so that those prisoners can build up those relationships and prison officers know exactly what's happening with prisoners in their care. So I think there's got to be a balance in that and I do welcome the incel technology but it shouldn't be as a replacement uh, for staff.
0: The other thing that strikes me about many of the proposals Steve is, is actually they're in a white paper but they don't need legislation. No, Most that, virtually all the measures do not need legislation to to come into practice. No,
1: I, I, and that's that's the point that we were very surprised at that none of it will be a legislative basis. It's just a vision, and if if the vision doesn't come to fruition, they will simply throw the white paper away, and, and effectively none of it will come to fruition. But but again, I've got to say I worry about. Some of the content of it, especially trying to divert people away from prisons in the first place, such as the mentally ill. I don't think it goes far enough. And we saw all this nonsense in the 1980s under the Thatcher government when they introduced something called care in the community. And I'm afraid it didn't work because, unfortunately, some poor souls were left to their own devices about self-medication. And some people didn't take the medication on time. And as a result, they sometimes offended against community committing crime and they ended up in prison when prison wasn't the correct place for them. Actually, secure and medium secure and low secure mental hospitals were the place where those individuals were going to be cared for. My my members certainly weren't equipped with the tools to deal with the mentally ill, but there was a severe lack of training and there still is. There still is, and I feel it's quite wrong that mentally ill people are not diverted away quickly enough to get the help that they thoroughly deserve, and there's nothing in that white paper that reassures me or the National Executive Committee that has been taken seriously.
0: Of course, one thing that does come across from, from the white paper is that there are a huge range of issues that intersect, overlap, react against each other when you're dealing with prison strategy. It's not just... It's not just prison officers, it's the Prison Educational Trust, it's the the mental health facilities, it's probation, it's not just building new prisons, it's making sure the old ones are fit for purpose and so on uh, uh, and so forth. Given that the very clear view from the POA is that this is a missed opportunity, what's the union's view about how to take a more robust strategic view on yeah. the prison service and the prison system?
1: Well, we have a policy that we believe we're, we're, in, we're, we're now in crisis. And we've been in crisis for some time about with regards to underfunding of the whole, not just prisons, but the whole criminal justice system, which affects everything and everyone, affects our communities, it affects everything. So what we believe is that there should be a, a Royal Commission that looks into our prisons and the whole criminal justice system, a root and branch review, a critical analysis so that this public inquiry takes evidence including from trade unions such as the PLA and all other unions that are recognised mm-hmm. uh, for the purposes of the criminal justice mm-hmm. system along with other experts because there's lots of experts throughout the world that will cast a critical eye on the criminal justice system not just in England and Wales but in all of the UK and, and and I think it's something that has got to happen. And, and only then, once it does happen, will we actually get movement on the real critical areas. Because I think political parties, whether it's you know a conservative government or whether it's a Labour government in the past, it's been politics played out through the media about who's the toughest on crime and who can lock people up for longer. Uh, and sometimes that may prove to be popular with the general public but it doesn't resolve the key issues in our society and i think that's what we've got to get to if we're spending billions of pounds on reoffending, then surely to god it's better to try and deal with core issues and keep people out of prison in the first place that that way actually lowers the tax bill for the taxpayer but it makes our society much better as well so for example we all know that 95 percent of those who are locked up will be released into society one day so we need to ensure that they come out as better people and they don't want to come back to prison but we've got to break that recycling or the revolving door of the criminal justice system and it doesn't just stop at prisons that's That starts before someone actually gets into committing crime in the first place.
0: Brilliant, Steve. Thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. Graham Morris, the Labour MP for Easington in the northeast of England, has been a long-term ally of the Prison Officers Association since he was elected to Parliament in 2010. Last month, he introduced the Prisons Violence Bill, also known as the Safer Inside Bill. Here... Graham tells us what his proposed legislation is intended to do, why it is needed, and what the chances are of getting it onto the statute book. Graham Morris, uh, uh, Labour MP for Easington, thank you very much for joining us on the POA podcast.
2: Th- th- thanks so much, Simon. It's a pleasure to uh, to be joining you uh, this afternoon.
0: Well, it's it's an auspicious day in a, in a sense, isn't yeah. it? Because you have just introduced the, the prison's violence Bill uh, onto the floor of the House of Commons, otherwise known as the as the safer safer inside bill. Could you tell us a bit about what that what that bill seeks to do?
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, as, as you rightly point out, today's well, we thought it would be immediately after Prime Minister's questions, but there was a statement on COVID, so it was it was slightly delayed. But w- what we've been able to do, and, and, and partially it's, it's through the justice unions or the alliance, a coalition of nine trade unions. We've been able to build some cross party support, and that includes representatives from the Conservative Party, from the SNP, uh, the Lib Dems, from my own party, from the Labour Party. And we, we, we're, we've we put forward a proposal based upon the aims and, and vision that's set out in the white paper, whereby we can introduce some performance indicators to measure violence in prisons and produce an uh, an incentive or a disincentive for prisons, whether they're running the public sector or the private sector, to take action to prevent violence in prisons, to improve the safety of prison officers and other prison staff and prisoners themselves. And the idea is uh, this um, performance indicator would look at not just the most serious violent assaults that currently uh, are measured, the ones where... It's only counted if the individual is receives hospital treatment, but, but to look at lesser incidents as well and we include them and use that as a basis for um, penalising financially whoever's running the prison, be that in the public or the private sector. It's it's particularly relevant because the intention is in the white paper to extend coverage of the key performance indicators to the public sector as well as to the private sector now you know we've got good support on a cross-party basis and you know we have to address some of these huge issues that are affecting prisons and the morale of prison staff we've got record numbers leaving the prison service more a uh, uh, leaving than entering and the the government are currently saying in order to address this crisis of manning in the prison service they're going to um recruit an additional 5,000 prison officers. And of course, much of that provision is going to be in, in the private sector and privately run jails. Well, we, we think it should be a public sector provision uh, and we think there's much more the government could be doing to address some of the big issues that affect prison officers. Not just the violence that is subjected to, but that must be brought to an end. We must have a zero tolerance of violence in prisons. But, but also the other issues around pay, I did raise that in my speech about the peer review body and the recommendation for an additional £3,000 on the entry level grade. We think that ministers, whoever they are, are, should be obligated to implement the review body recommendations and not just look at them uh, on the basis of it being advisory. You know, we think there are things that could be done around the retirement age. Because it's unreasonable to expect someone who's in such a physically demanding and at times dangerous job in the prison service should be expected to work for 68. We know that's just too late. It's, too, it's it's too much of a burden on staff who are over 60. And quite quite frankly, it's a major factor in them deciding to leave the service early. So we we have flagged up some of these issues with the minister as well. We also want to incorporate into the bill, in the second part of the bill, the uh, safe inside charter, you know, where we're we're looking at some, I mean, I think they're absolutely reasonable and straightforward principles to have a, a safe system of work. And all of the unions, and that includes not just the Prison Officers Association, but the College Lecturers, the UCU, who are responsible for prison educators within the service, uh, the, the Royal College of Nursing, who, who provide medical services services, the BMA and the probation officers union, uh, the PCS, Unison, the GMB and Unite are all supporting that position. You know, we want the we want the government through adopting my bill to uh, adopt the principles in the charter and mandate other prison employers to do exactly the same. Now, I don't know if it's significant, but from where I was standing on the, uh, on the opposition side of the chamber, it looked like the Prisons Minister, Victoria Atkins, was kind of nodding in agreement. Now, I, I, I don't know whether we can take that as a signal that the government are going to acquiesce and give safe passage to the bill, but it's coming back on the Friday, the 25th of February. So we're going to flesh out the provisions. I I only had 10 minutes to outline what we were hoping to do, you know, reduce violence and improve terms and conditions of the staff who work in prisons. But we're going to flesh that out and present the bill on the 25th because there was an opportunity today for anyone who objected to speak against the bill and cause a cause a, a vote, a division, it's called. But that didn't happen. And... You know, through the good offices of the Prison Officers Association and through Solidarity, who've been working assiduously on a cross-party basis, we had Gordon Henderson and others, many of whom MPs have got um, prisons in their own constituency, who were quite vocal in their support for the for the for the proposed bill for this tenement rule bill. So it's difficult to say. Normally, even the very best. Private members' bills or 10 minute rule bills, however reasonable they are, quite often the government won't accept a a, a bill coming from an individual member and they'll come forward with their own proposals. However, it's still very valuable because it gives us an opportunity, whether the bill progresses or not, to set out the arguments, to draft our clauses so when the prisons bill does come in the government's own bill, which would be a much um, more comprehensive bill, comes to parliament, then we'll be in a position to move the relevant amendments and hopefully achieve some measure of success. I don't know if that's a useful um, explanation. It's a bit of a canter through what we were doing.
0: No, it's, it's tremendously useful, Graham, and very encouraging in many ways, because listeners will know that the white paper was, was a long document, over 70 yeah. pages, there were some nice ideas in it, but there was seemed to be a mechanism for getting those actually yeah. in, in practice. So to take a practically based bill is one thing. It's really important to make sure that it's not just the incidents that lead hospitalisation that are included in the basket of measures, Absolutely. but to actually engage the attention of the prison's minister and still more that for that attention to be positive, as, as you've, you've described, is a huge encouragement to members of the POA who know that at last their concerns are being listened to, not just by friends in Parliament, such as yourself and Graham Henderson, you've, you've mentioned, and others as well, but potentially by the government as well. Yeah.
2: Well, I think the, the, the POE and, and people who are advising them are, are, have been quite assiduous and quite clever in using the language of the white paper and using the, the currency, uh, the KPIs, the key indicators, is the measure. And that's the measure what's that's referred to in the white paper of success and failure, and then to adapt that in a way that um, that could really actually make a difference because warm words are not enough. Sentiments, great. You know, we've seen that Mm -hmm. in many areas of public policy, but what we need are the mechanisms and the actions to make those warm words and sentiments a reality that make a difference to both the staff who work in prisons and indeed the prisoners themselves, so that the environment's safer and that we have a zero tolerance of, of, of violence within our prison system. So I, I do think there's a lot of positives from it. And uh, I'm very encouraged by the response so far. We'll, we'll continue to work on the detail and present a, a, a bill on the 25th. And if the opportunity comes to go into committee or the opportunity comes to um, make amendments to a government bill, then we have all the, the work in the bank, as it were, ready to go straight ahead.
0: At the, at the present time, can you see or anticipate any particular resistance to making progress, albeit perhaps on a slow step-by-step
2: basis? There's a there's an easy mechanism, you know, when there's a financial cost involved. But in a way, that that this is a it's part of a value for money exercise. Potentially it could be cost saving. I mean, what I was arguing today was. Any fines that are imposed as a result of uh, breaches of of the key indicators, then that money could be used to pay a, a, a compensation set package that was fit for purpose, rather than the kind of derisory one that we have at the moment. But I don't think it could be derailed on financial grounds. I don't think there's anything fundamentally at odds with the aims and the aspirations set out in the white paper, and it, you know, in terms of the government's and ministers' pronouncements about wanting to improve the situation in prisons, improve uh, recruitment, and address the issue of violence in prisons, I think it's all in tune with that. I don't, I don't see it being a major drain on the parliamentary timetable, but once again, that's in the hands of the government's business managers, whether they are prepared to to, uh, to give the node and, and let it have safe passage. But we'll keep lobbying away and that's why it's so important for, for, our, for, you know, for, for members of the Prison Officers Association to engage in this process to contact their own members of Parliament, irrespective of which political party they are. In fact, it's probably actually more helpful for those members who live in constituencies represented by Conservative MPs to say, look, this is a, it's a fair and reasonable measure it's not going against the grain of the government's white paper. Will you please lobby the minister? Can you, can you please lobby the minister, write to, to the minister, uh, and express your support and the merits contained within the bill? So that would be tremendously helpful if, uh, if members could could do that. But it does make a difference, you know, when constituents, particularly prison officers in a discipline service, take the trouble to contact their MP by email or, or whatever form attending surgeries or whatever so thanks ever so much for your for your support and encouragement I've got a number of large prisons I'm you know my constituency is in the northeast of England we've got a number of large prisons in uh, in Durham and to the south of us on Teesside so it it, it is a live issue for me and for others in the area so you know keep up the good work and keep up the pressure on our elected reps.
0: The Union is urging all members to lobby their MP in support of Graham Morris' bill, so that it has the best chance of being passed by the House of Commons when it comes back for debate on 25th February. A branch circular has been issued giving advice on how to do this, and that can be accessed on the Union's website with the reference Cirque 006. The message is clear. The Union works hard to make sure the views and concerns of members are heard in Parliament and everywhere else as well. And the Union has good relationships with those who understand and share its concerns. But the Union is only as strong as its members. And the more members the Union has, the louder the Union's voice can be. So, if you're listening to this and haven't signed up, speak to your local POA rep today or head over to pouk.org.uk to find out how to join and all the information you need about the union and the work that it does. Thank you for listening. We hope you like what you've heard and will join us for the next episode of the POA podcast. Thank you and goodbye. POA podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. Music is by Scott Holmes.